0: Gracious and merciful Father, thank you for the Bible. Um, Thank you for feeding our souls with it. Thank you you for using its stories and its teaching to reveal yourself to us and to reveal um, our hearts as well. And thank you for Christ, who is our only Savior. I pray that as we study Numbers, we might... Uh, know Jesus better. In Jesus' name, amen. So we ended last week with uh, that the rebellion, I call it the pastor's encouragement text, the rebellion of the people makes brings out uh, Moses' sin, and he's ready to just give it all up, and God doesn't treat him uh, negatively. He treats him very tenderly, provides other laborers for him, if there's ever a text for plurality of leadership, this is a good one um and uh just very good thing so here we are we're in the midst of this god's uh solution to uh moses' depression I don't, you know he's he's he is depressed he's he thinks life would be it'd be better if God would just kill him now he doesn't think about um suicide killing himself but he he certainly is thinking this is miserable leading a people that is always grumbling is miserable so let's go ahead and let's read uh verses sixteen and seventeen uh a very good Kyle you you can just hand that to whoever you want everybody in here will be happy to read I think so yeah uh numbers chapter eleven sixteen and seventeen.
1: Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is in you and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone.
0: Okay, so we don't need to turn there and read the whole section, but this does parallel Exodus 18. Um, and we'll maybe go back to that more here in a minute, but um, just know it's the same uh, passage. And they again, as usual, numbers is supplementary rather than, um, it's not like play-by-play, play, the whole thing. So um, the question I have as I hear these verses to give to you, how would you describe what it means to take some of the spirit that is on Moses and put it onto the other elders? That's my question, right? He takes some of the spirit that is on Moses and puts it on the other elders. What do you think? Just think for me a little bit. Okay, so yeah, so again, so if, you, if this is the amount of the spirit that's on Moses... It's not taking a pie out of Moses like this and putting it on the elders. Okay? It's very, I think that's very good. And there's lots of reasons for that, but one is the Holy Spirit can't be divided. You don't like, if he's an infinite being, you can't take some out and, and have him be less, right? So um, anyway, but speak more. It does mean something. Mary's told us what it doesn't mean. But what what might it mean? Okay, so I'm just going to, I wrote all that down as fast as I could. The closeness, the intimacy, the abiding qualities, wisdom, even fruit of the Spirit. Uh, in, in essence, what makes Moses a good leader is going to be put onto these other men. That's an excellent application to this, that Moses had received something to be a leader from God. This is what we think of when we, uh, in, in our situation, we're going to do this in a couple weeks, when we talk about ordination, ordaining someone, we do believe that God is doing something to help the person fulfill their task. It's not just inherit in the person. And it's more than... It's more than just giftedness, although I think giftedness is included in it. It's, it there's a, it's, just, it's almost nebulous how to explain it, but I love the way this says, taking some of the Spirit. So it's, uh, is that the Holy Spirit? Yes. But I mean, it's not just thinking of the Holy Spirit as a person, but it's thinking in terms of the, the giftedness and the abilities and the attitude that's in Moses being put on to these other people, that God actually does that. Go ahead, Clark. uh-huh mm-hmm mm mm-hmm. yeah you got this is this, you guys are getting the gist of what's going on here which will make it all the more uh amazing when we get to the next chapter and see what they actually do uh but that, that's you 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 got the heart of it um and sometimes we call this anointing, okay? And this is one of those cases where understanding this uh, will help you understand that this, whatever this is and all that it is, doesn't mean sinlessness. <laughs> uh, and so, um, yeah, you'll see that here in a minute, um, and the result of this, the idea that even using that language, is that the congregation the congregation would give as much respect to the elders as they give to Moses. right? So the concept is, you shouldn't be going, "Oh, we like Moses. We don't like these guys. It's, it's, uh, there's respect for the office. That these guys are being brought into. Okay? Um, okay, let's keep going. Um, verse 18. Uh, Carolyn, would you like to read for us? Uh, read 18 to 20, please. 18
1: to 20. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. When you will eat meat the Lord heard you when you wailed if only we had meat to eat We were better off in Egypt Now that the Lord will give you meat you will eat it You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or ten or twenty days But for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have walked away from him saying why did we ever leave Egypt?
0: <laughs> okay. Um, so who tells Moses to say this? Uh, it, 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 Moses' message is a message from God. This is what God wants to say to his people. And um, what does he want him to say to them? What's What's the... Well, let me ask you this. What does he actually command for the people to do? And what do you think, in this context, that would look like? (laughs) It's it's hard, isn't it? It's like, wait a minute, consecrate yourself. I'm going to make, I'm going to stuff food into your mouth so it comes out your nostrils. Consecrate yourself. (laughs) So, like, what does that mean? Um, Again, consecration... It does have this sense of set apart. The way I would take it in this context, get ready, because I'm going to teach you a lesson. It's like, Coleman, go to your room. Your dad's going to be in there in a couple minutes. (laughs) Prepare yourself. Because God's not happy with them, right? Because of their grumbling, right? So he's, he, the, the grumbling started it. They were grumbly hateful. And then God uh, takes care of the issue with Moses and his depression because of that. But now he's going to actually address the people. And he says, um, get ready. I think is probably the best way. Um, and this this verse helps us to see how gr- their grumbling actually crossed over the line. This is one of the lessons I think Numbers is helping us with. What is the difference between um, good crying out to God because your own personal experience is less than the promises of God, right? We all get things aren't everything that we want. uh, and, And so that's a good thing. Psalms do that all the time. How is it, God, that you can say that I can conquer sin and yet I'm struggling with sin? How is it, God, that you say you defend me and I just got beat up by these other people? You know, all those, those are decent questions and they're part of the Christian life. So that's not, all of that is not grumbling and complaining in the numbers context. How does this grumbling and complaining cross over the line? And these verses tell us one way it does, particularly in verse 18 at the end. Yes. Now flesh that out. Kind of, It's basically saying, we think I was better off before I became a Christian. Think about your grumbling and complaining. I was better off when I didn't have you as my God. That's when it crosses over the line. You know, you can actually have, you know, uh, all kinds of frustrations that you're taking to the Lord on a regular basis, cast all of your cares upon Him, you know, take all of your angst, all that kind of stuff, take to Him. God wants you to do that. But with the attitude that you are happy that God has redeemed you, and no matter how hard it is for you in the moment, you would never want to give up salvation to go back to pre-salvation. I think that's one thing that's very helpful in our distinction of what's going on here, they were crossing over that line, and and we do sometimes as well too. I mean, we we um, man, it was life was just easier before I was a Christian. I wasn't dealing with guilt, and I didn't have to deal with my disappointment with myself, or you know, whatever. You just you're carefree, and um, you forget that you were enslaved to sin. <laughs> uh, but but you can see how that can go on. So okay, and so. God is going to discipline them. And is it not interesting the way that God disciplines them right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> try to think of a situation in, in modern day parenting where you would do something like this. I, it's not easy to think about this, but um, I could see maybe a, a son uh, experimenting with a drug and you wouldn't like give him tons of drugs, but you might take them to a homeless shelter and show him, you know, this is where this leads, you know. Uh, but what, what other examples might you do? It is true, uh, my mom and dad could care less that, that the farmers in our, uh, when we were helping us on the fields, gave us these big wads of tobacco, they, they were like, no, no, don't don't let my kids have that, they're like, yeah, give it to them, and they you were like six years old, and they're giving us a wad of tobacco, and you take one swall of that, you're throwing up, I, I will never be addicted to tobacco in my life, it's like, no way, so yeah, I mean, it's it's one, one way to do discipline. Not the only way, but this is one way that God is doing here. Uh, what is God teaching by pushing this to the extreme? He's not just teaching, he's not just kind of being mean by just plunging it into them. He's, he's actually showing wisdom not just in the discipline, but in the regular giving of food, he is showing them that it's not that I'm holding back from you, I'm giving to you according to my wisdom. So that's, that's what's happening in regular, that you don't want me to just flood you and, and give to you as much as you possibly want at the moment because it's, it's actually painful. We we do this at Thanksgiving, right? A lot of times we have all the food we want and about three hours later we're just like, Oh, why did I do that to myself? You know? And then you see, you know, usually people there I guess I'm moving into that category, not quite there yet, but you, you find that it, at Thanksgiving after what fifty-three years of eating Thanksgiving, I go, you know, maybe I shouldn't have that second helping right now. I can I can enjoy this much later. And so there's a there's a lot of wisdom that God is showing. You want me he says to order your your life right now. We don't want you don't want me to just give you exactly what you want all the time because it will not be good. Go ahead Michael. An case of that, the prisoners concentration camps. Mm, yeah. and they die. And they die. Yes. 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 I have um, in my notes a, a story of my own gluttony, but you'll have to get that later. Um, I <laughs> it's just a funny story. So, uh, but anyway, you get the picture. God is not being harsh or mean here. He's actually trying to instruct them. You want me to be wise with you? Yeah. Oh, he could give you whatever. It's not, he's not withholding this because, because he doesn't have it. There you go. That's a very good point, Mike. All right, so let's read 21 and 22. Um, Christian, you want to read for us? You go right ahead. Just kidding. <laughs> Erica, you just translate as he reads.
1: <laughs> and Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 foot men. And thou hast said, I will give them flesh, that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them? I and t- Okay, sorry, keep going. To suffice them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them?
0: Good, just keep the microphone, because I'm going to have you keep reading as we go along. So, um, So here is a statement... Moses reacts to God's word. How? What's his reaction? How are you going to do that, right? Which brings up Mike's point that that even to Moses this seems unbelievable that you could give us so much meat that it's going to come out our nostrils. So I like you can't do that, God. And how are you going to feed these people? Yes, yeah, same thing in the lesson. You you can't do this, and he's like, oh, I can do it. I can do as many. Um, he reminds. Uh, God how many of the Israelites there are, and he expresses his doubts. All right, read verse 23.
1: Unto Moses, is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. Okay, so again, this is, I love this, this is all
0: throughout scripture, it's like a If you get that this this is one of these common lessons that we always need to keep coming back to, you just see it everywhere. But here, God's like, oh, so you think I can't do it? Oh, let me show you. Is my arm too short? So when you're dealing with whatever problem you're dealing with and you think it can't be done, God's sitting back there, oh, that's exactly what I want. Because I want you to learn that there is no problem of which my arm is too short to save. Right? So... uh, Wonderful lesson there. Uh he I just wrote down, God loves to do what his people do not think he can do. He is able to do far more than what we ask or imagine. Carrie. I like that Moses is guessing this, he doesn't guess what he should have It's like still surprise. Yes. Yes. And that 's the way we're supposed to be in this too, as you read it, you 're not supposed to be bored, you 're supposed to be going, "Oh, what will God do? Oh yes, I feel like Moses i don't think God can do this, you know and and so you're supposed to jump into that conversation. all right, I was going to give microphone back to Christian, but give it to Erica so that she can keep reading twenty four and twenty five <laughs> So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Okay. This is... uh... this is i think really fun has all kinds of uh applications to the pouring out of the spirit at pentecost we might get to those in a minute but when i asked how or asked you all and howard responded what does it mean that some of the spirit was placed upon them howard gave me all sorts of like unseen qualities you might see them reflected in their behavior later on but they're it's unseen right and and in this situation God actually comes down in a cloud, so it's visible, and somehow there's a visible manifestation of the Spirit being taken from Moses and put on the other elders. Or maybe it's not visible, I don't know, but it's somehow there's something happening, and then there has to be a, a visible fruit immediately, Right? And what is that? What do they do? They begin prophesying. Okay, So that was like the the prophecy, the ability to speak the word of God. And I don't know how the people, like what kind of prophesying was going on, like what they were actually doing. But there were clearly, people went, oh, there are the spirits there. Oh, now they're prophesying. Like they, they just got it. And we don't often think of Moses as prophesying, but he definitely was. He's the model of a prophet, right? He would speak to God, God would give him stuff, and then he would communicate that to the people. So the same thing that Moses typically is doing, the people now go, oh, that's happening to these elders, okay? And it's in a visible way. But then it says, but they didn't continue to do it. Why not? It, was, it, it served a purpose to visibly say, you need to respect the authority of these men. It wasn't there all the time. And there's a reason why it wasn't there all the time, because God, I believe, is still using in a singular way Moses as the one through whom he communicates his word. Not saying there couldn't be other prophets down the road and all kinds of things, but I think what God wants them to do is to say, these elders, you should give them... Some of the same respect when you have problems and disputes. You can go to these other elders. You don't need to, you don't need to um, always go to Moses with your problems because these guys can handle it. you know They're clearly God's representatives. But Moses is still my main man. And we're going to see why that's important here in just a moment. Um, so the, the external... Spiritual prophesying was temporal for these guys, whereas Moses, he speaks to him face-to-face in an ongoing way, and that's the true model. We would probably apply this similar to, yeah, Mike is a preacher of God's word, but Jesus is the true prophet. Right? The word of God is the true speaking of, you know, it's not, I, I'm not, you, you don't want to give allegiance to me higher than Christ. He's the true word. Some, something similar to that would be the way I'd apply this. Moses is the one who's the true representative of God. All right, 26 to 29. Uh, let's give it to Barry. I'm going to read over there for us, Barry, or Natalie. doesn't matter. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, And the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered. But they had not gone out to the tent. So they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all, that the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them, and Moses and the elders of Israel return to the camp? <clears throat> okay. So, first off, Eldad and Medad. Are they uh, are they two members of the 70, or would they be plus two? plus two? Would it make them 72? That's the first question, and I I don't know that I'm certain on that, um, which is which, but for some reason of which we're not told, we are not told why they do not come with the rest of the elders. We don't know if that was, you know, maybe they had just touched a dead body and they didn't want to come, or maybe they were wanting to disassociate from the establishment, or we don't know what was going on with these two guys, okay? They just were not here at the tent. And there's also this question of, it's, it sounds like they were in the camp and these guys were outside of the camp. I, I tend to think that uh, outside of the camp in this context is right in front of the tabernacle instead of in the, in the surrounding camp. I don't think they're meeting someplace outside of the camp. Um, but they're just not connected with these guys, okay? And, and in that, they, are, they don't fit the paradigm. And yet, somehow, and I love that God's just, he doesn't like to fit into our little boxes. He pours out his spirit on them. And they start prophesying. And Joshua, being the good man that he is, he sees problems. So what does Joshua think is going to happen? Coleman, what do you think Joshua's, what's, what's he afraid of in this text? These guys, the Spirit's poured on on these elders, okay. But now you get these two guys, and they're not connected with these at all. And they're getting the Spirit poured out on them. What do you think Joshua's afraid of? Because Joshua in verse 28 says, stop them from prophesying. What is he jealous for? Well, it's not, Joshua doesn't care about his own authority, that's a, he's afraid that people would follow these guys and they wouldn't come and give their allegiance to Moses he's he sees probable division taking place and he's afraid he's afraid of this he knows what happens if there's division in in a body oh i follow apollos no i follow paul All right so he's not Joshua's not being dumb here. He's not, he just says, this is the problem. (laughs) These guys are clearly still under Moses' leadership, but these guys don't seem to be. They seem to be outliers and people could follow them. What does Moses um, say in that? Are you jealous for me? And, and you can see great humility in Moses, right? He's, he's like, I mean, God's the one to put the spirit on him. If he puts the spirit on him, it's his deal, right? I mean, he's just, he's not stuck on himself. Remember, he just wanted to be killed because these rebellious people anyway. He didn't want to be a part of this. So he's like, hey, I don't know exactly what God's doing, And so he doesn't agree with Joshua. And he actually says, would that all God's people would prophesy. Is that not a foreshadow of the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost where all God's people prophesy? So uh, we would want that. We would want the Spirit of God actively working in everybody's heart. Yes, Melissa. I would, everything that you just said, I would say, I'd have to say yes, because that's the kind of things that prophecy does. So maybe maybe they just said in agreement, yes, it's true, you're going to see quail come flying down, you know, you're going to see these things happen. So they're like giving adding their voice to Moses. I doubt that they're saying anything, um, obviously not saying anything contrary to Moses, but I wonder if they're saying something that's... Uh, different than Moses like new truths I I don't I wouldn't say that either uh, but somehow they must be um, affirming saying new things Uh, I don't know the scripture doesn't tell us and I think that's probably um, wise as well because in our day and age oh you know I like this leader I don't like that leader Uh, why? Oh, it's just the way they describe, it gets in all these little nitpicky details of why you like this guy and not this guy, and and, um, and I think that this passage is uh, ultimately applicable to everything that we experience today because it doesn't give us those details. Um, It is, yes, yes. Okay, uh, I'm sorry I didn't answer your question. I just don't have an answer for it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so 30 through 32, who's got the mic now? Oh, Kyle's got that. So, you know what? Just give that to Benjamin, Kyle, and he'll run that baby around. Won't you, Benjamin? <laughs> He's right here, Kyle. It's right. Benjamin, you can read this one, and then the next time you can take that microphone to the next person. You read verses 30 through 32 for me, please.
2: and moses and the elders of israel returned to the camp and a wind from the lord sprang up and it brought kale, quail from the sea and let it fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side
0: and a j- day's journey on that other side of the camp and it
2: about 2 cubits above the ground and the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail those who gathered
0: the least, gathered ten homers, and they spread them
1: out for themselves all around the camp.
2: <clears throat>
0: okay, so this is basically a description of what happens. A wind comes, there's some people suggest that these are being swept in, it's a typical thing. I I can't say how this was typical, it's, to me it's got to be miraculous, um, but it falls, and it's it's 12 to 15 miles, that's a day's journey, 12 to 15 miles around the camp. Can you imagine quail? And the, how deep is the quail? Three feet deep. I mean, you got three feet. I mean, you can see why it would take a couple million people, you know, that much time to harvest this stuff, right? I mean, it's, it's a lot. Um, the smallest number gathered by a family was 10 homers. That is 60 bushels. That is a lot of... And they do it all in 36 hours, which is pretty amazing. All right. 33 to 35. Let Bridget read that for us.
2: While the meat was yet... Wait. You got it. Yeah. While the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth-Havata, because there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibroth-Havata, the people journeyed to Hazeroth, and they remained at Hazeroth.
0: Okay, so um, this is, while the meat was between their teeth, is most likely an idiomatic expression. Um, remember earlier he said you're going to get so much it's going to come out your nostrils. So if you if it's you started dying as soon as you put it to your mouth, you know I, I think this is all idiomatic expression. It's 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 that they are getting so much that they are sick of it, uh, but then also at the same time God sends a plague in it. Um, we don't know exactly what that was. I would call it some kind of supernatural plague they certainly were probably careful in that short amount of time to try to preserve that meat. Um, But anyway, they are, um, they're dying. And this is uh, uh, at God's hand. People are dying. And he mentions that this is the place of craving. So the reminder is my application, God, I don't want you to just give me all of my cravings. Uh, I need you to give me what is good. And that's different than saying that every desire is evil and that you shouldn't enjoy good things in this world. Of course we should. But the issue is one of craving. And God is clearly angry with them, and he is clearly bringing the the wrath upon them uh, that he... Um, that he promised to bring them. Um, Any other comments on that? It doesn't talk about the alleviation of the plague in these verses. um, But obviously it had to stop at some point. Psalm 78 speaks to this. Verse 26, he caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he led the south wind. He rained meat down on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp, all around their dwellings. They ate and were filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord rose against them, and he kindled the strongest of them, And laid low the young men of Israel. It wasn't just the weak, but the strong. In spite of this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like breath, and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. So even though Numbers doesn't really tell us about any repentance, uh, Psalm 78 does say uh, that at some point, some people are repenting because of this. So... um, and it's a nice kind of thing to see how the hymns teach scripture. So if you want to understand your Bible, that's one reason why the hymns, are, the psalms are good, because they are used by God to help you understand in an applicable way these events. So, all right, I want to just keep moving on. Uh, Chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, Benjamin, you find someone to hand that microphone to. Doesn't matter, make them, just, just hand it to him. There you go, that's a good choice right there.
2: Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of the Cushite wife, for he would married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked, hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, Come out of the tent of meeting all three of you. So the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance of the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both both of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them.
0: Okay, so I, I really wanted to get to this chapter because it helps to understand the whole issue with Eldad and Medad, and so in the, old, in the last chapter, Joshua is um, telling him, you got to work out, stop these guys, you know, stop these other prophets, they're going to be a threat to your leadership, and Moses says, no, no, so so we should, in a sense, want, the ridgeline is we should want everyone to know God and the Spirit of God, right, I mean, um, but on the other side is that the, those who who do prophesy or who do have um, these gifts and anointing, they then are tempted to vie for the the true leadership of Moses, uh, and and they stand against him, and so you see this happening, and this is very typical. Um, you know, I always think that truth is a ridge line; it's able to fall off on both sides, so. Uh, who are those who are opposing Moses now? Oh, she, she is, uh, I, I think, maybe. It's not out of the question to think that she is a prophetess. It's not in, in Numbers 11 that she does this, but she was a part of uh, writing the hymn of when they come up out of Egypt and uh, they're dancing and singing and stuff. And so she does have leadership. Qualities in her as well. So, we'll talk about that more in a minute. So. So, it's coming right at the top, right? Miriam and Aaron. Okay, so what is their verbalized problem with Moses, and then what do you think is their true issue with Moses? What's the problem that they... He married a Cushite woman. Can't have that. We'll talk about this in a minute, but what do you think is their real motivation? This is jealousy. This is this is them saying Well, there's a there's a hint, just like an hint, there's a hint of truth. We are all the Moses you've just said if the spirit of God is poured out, I'm happy about that. Right? <laughs> okay, let's, t- let's push that to its nth degree. Let's t- I don't need you as a leader anymore, Moses. Why do you? And particularly, they just had this issue with the quail. It, you know, Moses is probably not real happy. I mean, the people were not really happy with Moses anyway, and they're taking this opportunity because I think the, the association is that instead of the Lord bringing this plague upon this people, it is a result of Moses' leadership. And there's going to be a try to divide Moses from the Lord. Um, we're going to complain against Moses. We don't like the way you're leading Moses. But we're still following the Lord. And so they come up with this idea of the Cushite wife. Now, the question, and this is more of a theological question, doesn't, it's not that important to the application of the story, but the question is whether or not Moses has taken a second wife. Um, we're not saying in conjunction with Zipporah or Zipporah, but maybe she's died and then he takes on a new wife, okay? Uh, and which would be you know possible. Cush um, is actually typically in Ethiopia. Which is not really where Zipporah is from, but it would be connected to some of the Egyptians that maybe came up out of Egypt with the Israelites. But there are some connections to Cush. Um, I mean, uh, to uh, Zipporah with Cush um, later on in Scripture. So. Anyway, if you're really interested in all this, I can take you through all the the verses. Um, At the end of the day, um, I'm not really sure it matters too much. If you think it's it's, um, Zipporah, then the question in my mind becomes, why is this an issue now? Why was it not an issue before this time? Um, And a lot of people think it's just only because of the issue of sending away um, uh, Jethro or Jethro's son that we talked about later, uh, earlier. So but anyway, that's, that's the problem on that side of it. The other problem is, you know, there's nowhere else in scripture that talks about this second wife. So, so like, you know, w- what's going on? Again, we just, I don't think we know exactly. Um, but we do know something about Miriam and turn to Exodus 15 This will answer your question, Mary. Benjamin, why don't you bring that up to Mary? She can read that text uh, right up here Exodus 15 20 and 21.
1: Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, "Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, He has thrown into the sea."
0: You know, this is like this is the best song. This is the most popular song. I mean, wh- why wouldn't you want to follow Miriam? She was the one who came up with the, the topped all the charts. Everybody sang this song, right? I mean, this was the one that, um, uh, Michael Card. You know, <laughs> this is this is the one. So, um, anyway, so she is, uh, uh. One of the she's a prophetess and, and a leader. she is also honored in numbers twenty. Um, there's a sense where they talk about her burial, which is going to be an important thing later on in numbers twenty. Um, so she's important. you know she's not she's not someone that's just a nobody. She has a rightful, dignified place uh, in this, and yet it's not above Moses. and of course, we know tons of stuff about Aaron, right? I mean, Aaron's like, he's great and he's terrible. He's great and he's terrible. So uh, I've got like pages of references to Aaron. uh, And uh, Aaron's only got a position because Moses didn't want to be the sole prophet. And so uh, God gave him Aaron. So there's all this kind of stuff going on with Aaron as well. But jealousy fits even into hearts who have been anointed, who have had the Spirit of God poured out upon them. All of those, it doesn't negate the fact that there's sinfulness in people. So just remind yourself that for me. Pray for Mike. You can pray that he does his ministry well, but pray that I put sin to death. Because <laughs> I struggled with sin just like the rest of you guys. Go ahead. <laughs> he he was their little brother. Spoiled one that went to Egypt anyway. I mean, we are the pure Israelites. Moses, you're kind of a, you know, you betrayed us and went over to the Egyptians. I don't know, something going on there. Um, Giftedness, anointedness does not mean you are free of sin. Uh, And the Lord is not happy. Verse 3, there's a comment about Moses. What do you guys think of that comment? Thinking that Moses wrote the, you know, Moses at least edited this. (laughs) What do you think, Tanner? You like that comment? Since you were the one that wrote it? Like if this was about, Tanner is the most humble man on the face of the earth. Oh, Tanner edited this. He wrote this. What do you think about that? I tend to think that God actually told him, You write that. <laughs> don't back up on this. <laughs> What's that? That's right. Yeah. Yes. And I, I don't have any problem with thinking that Moses is humble, and I think the fact that God says, look, the people need to know this. This is my evaluation. You put it in here. And I could see Moses just saying, okay, Lord. I think it's even humble that he puts that. Because we have this false humility. Oh, don't, don't laud me, you know. And here he's having to say this um, in scripture. So, obviously Moses, if he is humble, he's only humble by the grace of God. And God is the one forging that character in him. Um, What does God tell everyone about his relationship with Moses? Huh? It's unique. And I think in this, Moses is a type of Christ. The reason why God speaks to him face to face is so that we can have an idea and when Jesus says that he is the son of God and speaks God's word, we know he is the prophet of whom Moses was the foreshadow. Can anybody quote Hebrews 1? First. Long ago, in various and sundry ways, that's the King James God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but now, in these last days, there you go. Oh, if the Muslims would get this. That Jesus wasn't just a prophet, and that we have another prophet coming after him, but that the Son is the final prophet. He is the one. This this is how I would apply this. It's, it's we need to listen to the words of Christ above every human. See how we say God's word is above even the preachers and the leaders and stuff? We need to hear the word of Christ above everything else. That's, he's the one we need to listen to. Okay. Um, let's keep going. 10 through 16. Uh, let's give that to Melissa Hall right here, Benjamin. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Howard. Uh, just, just a little confused about the setup here. Yeah. So they had a tabernacle yep. uh, in the middle of camp. Right. And this was at the tent of meeting. So was there still uh, out, I kind of envisioned that outside the camp where God would come and meet specifically with Moses or, or where was this taking place? At the and this is um, this is the camp setup. So these are the, the Levites, and then you got the different camps. There's three different uh ones in each of these. And Moses uh and Moses is here, Aaron um are there, the priests. Uh at the very beginning of Numbers, when they talk about being the tent of meeting, I do think that it is a tent out here. That Moses met with God. I do think that that's, that's the case. Uh, but as you go on in, in um, the book of Numbers, and it's true also in, in the other uh, books of the Pentateuch, this tent seems to fade away. And Moses has said that he is able to go into this tabernacle and speak to the Lord. This language in Numbers 11, especially uh, with Eldad and Medad, almost makes it sound like um, that they were outside of the camp, that they were out here. But I think that's probably just trying to, um, the camp meaning almost separated from this area here. Uh, And so even, I I don't think that there's still continuing to be a a tent here, um, one outside. I think that's done away with. Moses will meet here. Once this tent is set up, and I just, Howard, that's from just looking at, trying to look at all the texts and try to, it it does, the wording of being in the camp, out of the camp in this passage is confusing to me. It seems like it's backwards. Because um, I think when he says that where Moses is meeting, it's here and not here. um, I just, I don't know. I, I don't, you could, you could, we could study those verses. I've got a bunch of them listed in my notes, um, but you could take probably about an hour or two to study that and and at the end of the day, I just came back and just said, "Well, I think when they 're saying in the camp uh, or outside of the camp there this this actually area right before the tabernacle is is also called outside of the camp that 's kind of how i 've come to my conclusion, but i don't i don 't know so again, it is a little bit confusing there i don 't think it's the the most important detail, that's why I didn't go into it a whole lot, but uh, be happy to, to flesh that out more with us. Uh, it's clear, though, at the beginning of, of Numbers that, that there is this other tent because the tabernacle hasn't been set up yet. Uh, but at this point, it seems like it is set up, and that's where Moses meets with them.
1: When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was lep- leprous like snow, and Aaron turned towards Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. And the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march till Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hezaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran.
0: Okay, so obviously um, she is leprous, and don't just think of the leprosy that we have that you lose feeling, and then months later you fall. It's obvious some kind of physical uh, skin disease that's happening, and everybody could see it right off the bat. Um, She is experiencing this leprosy, and what would that mean for her relationship to temple worship? she would be cut off. So here's Miriam. This she's outside the camp. Right? Which is one of the reasons why I don't think that the tents outside of the camp at this point. I think it's inside the camp. But anyway, she's she's uh outside of the camp. Um she would be a disgrace. This would be this would be terrible for her. A sign of God's anger, his his uh wrath upon her. God is angry with Miriam. So this is this is uh probably why you ask why does Aaron not experience this and I think there's two reasons one Aaron's the priest he has to do the priestly functions and two um I think that Miriam was probably the instigator of this particular rebellion um so um yes (laughs) Nadab and Abihu She does that's that's a yeah it would have been hard for him to watch his sister be out outside the camp yeah yeah he's got to still do his job he said like adam and eve, adam said, like adam and eve. Mm-hmm. um aaron uh does some pleading um what's that That's true that's that's true um I think there's a a, a guilty sense in him, right? Um, Learning his lesson. Okay, maybe we do need you, Moses, after all. Um, So what you would learn from this, that Aaron, even though he is in the position of mediator, he's not really the true mediator, Right? Hebrews says that he would have to offer sacrifices for his own sins and for the sins of the people, right? Um, and who is the one who mediates for Aaron and Miriam? Moses, right? And I think this is why he's called the most humble man on the earth. They have just uh, criticized his authority and he intercedes for them. Now, to put that in your own. Context with Christ. How often do you lift up critical words of Christ's lordship over your life and yet he is continuing to intercede for you, right? Uh, <clears throat> uh, the Lord says, okay, okay, Moses, I can forgive him. Uh, I can, you know, not keep her out of the... the." Uh, camp forever but she's got to stay there for seven days if if someone spit in your face you'd have to you'd be unclean for seven days is basically um by the way in our own uh laws in our own country it is a bad thing to spit in the face of a someone in authority so not a good thing (laughs) and i think comes from the bible i think that's why um spitting on someone is not a good thing so Uh, So anyway, not only would Miriam and Aaron learn their lessons, but all of the people are supposed to learn their lessons at the same time. Do not stand against Moses. He is God's hand. He is the one God is using. Um, And of course, at this point, everything is going to be fixed because they've taught the lesson to everybody, right? No, we're going to go right back into it next week. It's like, oh, again. How many times do you have to learn the lesson? Over and over and over again. Aren't you glad that you have a mediator who is interceding for you? And yes, he disciplines you. And yes, he you know, takes you through hard times. But he is one who's constantly interceding, constantly saying before the Father, I spilled my blood for them. I am praying for them. You know, continue to work in their hearts. Do not give up on them. You know that's what—that's the ongoing love of God in our hearts. So, um, so when you doubt whether God can forgive you in your failures, remember Miriam. Remember Aaron. We don't often think about those people as testimonies of God's grace, but they are. So, any other comments or questions? That's all I have for today. Remember David. Seems to be a constant theme in Scripture, isn't it? <sighs> Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to be our perfect high priest. It's the only way that I could ever be before you. And it, it, uh, I know that as a pastor, I am held to a higher standard. And so... Um, Thinking of Aaron and Miriam encourages me, not encourages me to, to do sin, but it encourages me that even those in leadership uh, need forgiveness. We need the intercession of our high priest, um, and we need to learn our lesson. We need to become humble and grateful as Moses was and not grumbly hateful and jealous. Help us to be happy happy with where you have placed us, the distribution of your gifts and mercy to not just crave after something that you have not given to us. Help us to be content with what you've given, to be thankful. And I pray this not just for pastors, but I pray it for each one of us. We are a kingdom of priests, and, uh, but teach us, Lord, to bow our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.